Cast, the Netflix original movie podcast. I am your host, Andrew Morgan. You can follow the show at Nomcast Pod on Twitter and Instagram, or you can check us out on the web at nomcastpod.com. All right. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. As always, we have a great episode for you. We have film critic Amy Smith all the way from Scotland on the pod today. Amy covers film for multiple outlets, including In Session Film and Filmotomy as well as her own blog, Film for Thought, which I have contributed to once before, uh, writing about what else? A Netflix original movie. So definitely check out that when you have a chance. Now, Amy's here to help me review director Ben Wheatley's Rebecca, starring Army Hammer, Lily James, and Kristen Scott Thomas. Rebecca is a story that has been adapted multiple times in many different forms since the best-selling book was released in 1938 including, of course, the Alfred Hitchcock version, which won Best Picture at the Oscars in 1941. For those who are unfamiliar with this legendary tale, the story is about a newly married young woman, performed in this version by Lily James, who is fresh off a whirlwind romance in Monte Carlo with a handsome widower named Maxim de Winter, played here by Army Hammer. Upon arriving at her new husband's imposing family estate, the naive and inexperienced Mrs. De Winter finds herself battling the shadow of Maxim's first wife, the elegant and urbane Rebecca, whose haunting legacy is kept alive by the estate's housekeeper, Mrs. Danvers, played here by Kristen Scott Thomas. This current version is getting some pretty polarizing reviews, so I can't wait for you to all hear our take on it. It's a great conversation, so stay tuned for that. But first, a word from our friends at Forgotten Entertainment. I'm Pat Whalen. And I'm Mike Field. And throughout the history of cinema, nothing can compare with the phenomena of the MCU. Each episode, we'll tackle one film and discuss the differences between the comic book and what's on screen. We'll explore the growth of the Marvel Cinematic Universe from its inception to present day and beyond. And we'll have a little fun along the way. We may not have been first, or second, or even 48th, but we're hoping you'll take the journey with us into the MCU as we are yet another MCU podcast. You can find us on Instagram or wherever you get your podcasts today. Do you like beer? Do you like podcasts? Do you like beer podcasts? Then check out Cracking One Open, a podcast about brews, news, and pop culture reviews. Every week, we crack open a new craft beer from breweries around the country. And sometimes the world. We'll talk about how it was made, what's in it, the history of the brew, and the brewery. Then we'll give our tasting notes, and while we're finishing up, we'll talk about some of the latest goings-on in the world of pop culture. So check out Crackin' When Open with Mike and Elise, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. All right, welcome back. So excited for you all to hear my conversation with Amy. But first, I wanted to urge everyone to follow her on Twitter at Films with Amy, and of course, as I mentioned before, check out her film blog, Film for Thought, at filmforthought.co.uk. You can get all her latest reviews, and I think she is possibly jumping into the podcast world as well, so follow her now and stay tuned for all of that. Also, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast, The Nomcast, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to us right now all right let's get to it 
Here it is, our review of Rebecca with film critic Amy Smith. Give a listen. Mrs. Danvers, does Mr. De Winter ask you to keep the room like this? It doesn't have to. She's still here. Mm. Reveal her. I wonder what she's thinking about you. Taking her husband and using her name. She just want him to be happy. Happy? No, he'll never be happy. She was the love of his life. All right, Amy Smith is here. So glad to have you, Amy. Thank you for taking the time for us. Uh, thank you for having me. So I know th- th- this story, Rebecca, has been around a very long time. It's, you know, the, the book is from the late 1930s. The film is made in 1940-ish uh, for the 41 Oscars, where it won Best Picture for Alfred Hitchcock. This has a long storied history uh, going into it. So one of the one of the things that I wanted to kind of concentrate on here is why would this movie be remade and why why now and also kind of who has the nerve to to remake a best picture story <laughs> and because uh, you know anything that is going to happen from there on out you have to kind of measure up uh, with that so uh, first of all I just want to kind of know your general thoughts and then we'll try to answer some of those questions as we go on through I know you already have uh, on your film blog uh, a review that I did read uh, and I know that you prefaced it when you were putting it online that if you want a more positive review than it has been getting uh, to check yours out so uh, let us know what you, your general impressions of the film were and maybe why it's more of a positive slant than others yeah, so I think it helped that I went in almost blind with this film. I love Hitchcock, but the collection I have on my bookshelf is from 1942 onwards, so it doesn't <laughs> have Rebecca in it. So I didn't actually see the movie, I hadn't read the book, so I went in blind. And I also saw this at a cinema, so I wasn't distracted on my phone, I didn't have a chance to <laughs> go and do anything else, so I was stuck in the cinema watching it. And I think that's what really got me immersed into this film because it really is about the world building it's about the production the costumes sucking you straight into the story and I think that's what led me to really I do have some issues especially with the final act I think the pacing goes way off in the final act but I think it actually built up quite nicely I think the story is really intriguing and overall yeah I actually had quite a fun time watching this film which I was surprised about as well yeah, it's interesting. Uh, a, a lot of stuff uh, I'm fascinated by some of the things you said. So the the going in cold aspect is something that I think Netflix is shooting for here. I think that they are kind of taking the stance of this story is, you know, hasn't been even put on, say, a mini series since like the mid to late 90s, I think. So nothing really has been done in the 21st century outside of maybe like a, a stage adaptation uh, that is, I think, more local to uh, the UK more than it is anywhere in the US or anywhere globally. So it's interesting to kind of see who might be appealing to this more than others. I think people who are 
coming at it. And I'll be very honest. I was like you in a sense. I had not seen the Hitchcock Rebecca and I had not read the books before I was about to watch the movie. However, like a dumbass, I ended up watching the Hitchcock version first uh, because I didn't know how much they were going to change with the new version. Uh, And I also got uh, myself kind of immersed in the research of the book as well to kind of see the differences of where everybody's take was. And the more I've seen and the more I've kind of looked through it, this is a very different adaptation than anything. In a way, they think they're closer to the book, but they've made some wild changes, especially like you said in that third act, that are going to make it seem like this movie is a very different take. And I think based on the marketing... Uh, and and kind of the the interviews that I've seen with other people, everybody kind of didn't want to watch the Hitchcock version at all. They didn't want to have that stuck in their brain. At least uh, I know I saw Army Hammer in particular did not want to compare himself <laughs> to to some of the legendary performances that he would have to to look at. So, do you think that that's part of the appeal here from the Netflix standpoint? Is that they're trying to get people who have are unfamiliar with the story altogether? I think the whole idea is don't look at this as a remake of a Hitchcock film. Look at this as another adaptation of the novel. And we've recently in the past few years had a big trend of the same stories being told over and over again. See A Star Is Born, See Little Woman. They've done really, really well in the box office. So perhaps Netflix saw them and went, okay, let's take this story that people might not have seen from the 90s and let's adapt it again. Yeah, no, especially I, I did think of A Star is Born when, when this all came about because that story's been done on screen multiple times. So the, I think the one difference that's been a sticking point for some people, especially maybe on uh, film Twitter or just film critics at large, is kind of like once it wins Best Picture, people get really antsy versus like A Star is Born was, you know, notable under the Star uh, Streisand version, excuse me, uh, back in the 70s. But this one has kind of taken a really different take, but also wasn't as beholden and didn't need to be to the previous versions because I think there is a whole new generation of people who either didn't see it or it hasn't aged over the years as like some kind of legendary thing because even that was adapted from something else. So... It, that one has, <laughs> I guess if you do it enough times, it loses its, you know, hold over you, almost like Rebecca, uh, you know, literally the Rebecca, like the hold on you that it could have in your mind. But once people say best picture, it kind of gets muddled in here. But I absolutely agree with you. It is more of saying that they are trying to do a different work on a different adaptation of the main source material here, which is the novel. But the one thing that I found interesting because they say that is that the things that they did change or even the things that they put back in uh, that wasn't in the Hitchcock version for various reasons, it made, to me, the story a little more complicated, especially for what they were trying to do with Mrs. DeWinter. Uh, the new Mrs. DeWinter, I should say. They don't actually give her a name. So if you think we're being uh, you know, a little cook and dagger, a little uh, weird with the names, uh, no, it, it, it's weird on purpose. It's been that way for the <laughs> entire time. Um, so like even Mrs. Danvers, they, I think, maybe gave her a name in sequels to the book, but even then they didn't give her a name. It's, it's very odd in terms of who gets names and who doesn't. 
uh, in a story like this, especially when Rebecca is the name of the book and and she's the only one uh, female wise who really gets an identity, a name here. Uh, Do you think that. that identity in the first name is a sign of power, perhaps, that Rebecca has a power over everyone else? I think so. And, and it almost, if that was really in the back of the mind there, I wonder why they didn't maybe towards the end give Mrs. DeWinter a name. If, if, yeah. if they're trying to make it a story about her, which I guess we'll get to in a minute. But what do you think the biggest difference is for you? Because I, I remember we discussed that you did, after the fact, go and watch the Hitchcock version. Um, so do you think that's not a good way for people to to watch this film or enjoy this film to or is there an order that people should <laughs> like any kind of avoidance what what happened to you when you went backwards i guess in time when i went backwards i guess all the shock that because hitchcock is known mostly for his shocks and all that that all completely vanished watching his version when i watched the 2020 version because mm. I knew the story. So if you're going into a Hitchcock film for shocks, yeah, watch his first, I would say. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Um, also, I mean, this is uh, the 1940 version. Uh, there were rules in place at the time that uh, made Hitchcock have to make certain changes to from the book to the film. Uh, I believe they called that the Hayes Code, if I'm not uh, mistaken, but I know it was a code made from the Hollywood production code about the difference between Maxim De Winter's situation with Rebecca. Um, I'm going to keep it uh, a little bit loose. I, I desperately want to get into spoilers, but I kind of want to <laughs> uh, lay out some turf before we uh, get in and really uh, water the plants here. Because this movie, because you would think that it's such an old story that spoilers is kind of shouldn't be an issue <laughs> at the same time for how many how much change is here there is a big issue um one thing i wanted to kind of talk about because it lends into the changes did you find from watching the hitchcock version or maybe what you know of the novel or maybe you did read the novel i'm, I'm unsure i haven't read a novel no okay um the difference between, especially because we're talking two different time periods, it feels like the new movie wanted to make the Mrs. De Winter more of a a hero, or if, I don't know if you'd label it a feminist hero, but definitely trying to give her more strength than the initial source material may have lent. Do you find that that is necessary to tell this story in a modern day, or is that something that you think that was just a choice they made? And, you know, it, it it's just the difference. It's not, it doesn't mean anything. It would have made sense, but it didn't seem like they really cared about modernizing it or making it new. Like the setting is still back in like the 1920s, 1930s, older times, same with the costume, same with everything around it. So I don't see why they would want to modernize something if we're not going to modernize the setting in that sort of way. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I can possibly think of is that they thought that you know, maybe, you know, because we're talking about the story that that was written by a woman. So you can't say like, well, you know, because it's Hitchcock that maybe this is the male version of this story or a male slant to that story to really kind of show how men were more like women were more at least more, say, subservient uh, in that in that time period. Uh, so maybe the story is told from a different perspective that maybe they wanted to update, even when in 
staying in that perspective that maybe that doesn't follow on the truth of the time, or at least maybe they don't want to to lend credence to that <laughs> uh, version. Uh, I, again, you know, they're trying desperately not to be compared to Hitchcock, and I and I, I'm sorry, Ben Wheatley, I I am de- I am going to <laughs> uh, because the changes that were made here are definitely to make Mrs. DeWinter stronger. I think it's also to make Mrs. Danvers more fleshed out I guess as a character as well and so a lot of the the changes seem to be you know make this about not only jealousy and other themes that were part of the story all along but definitely also seeing an arc a stronger arc maybe for Mrs. DeWinter at the end how did how did you feel her arc change uh worked for the story I actually really liked Mrs. Danvers' uh, story. I think what worked is the relationship we get to see between her and Mrs. De Winter. It really felt like their stories were weaving in together, and that's kind of what helped make the third act feel somewhat believable, even if it is such a like drastic change in tone and narrative. Right. Yeah. I. So I think I'm gonna I'm gonna throw down the gauntlet a little bit for people. So spoilers ahead, guys, because I am I. <laughs> I really want to like let this wound bleed because um, <laughs> I will say um, the more I watch the new version, the more I am confused about what the audience is supposed to take away from this story a little bit, especially with the changes. Because to me, I think the biggest difference besides the actual difference uh, in this story uh, with the changes that they made, I think the difference is that I don't know why Mrs. DeWinter would stay or care about Max at the end. Because the difference between, for everybody, again, spoiler for even the 41, I'm going to spoil I'm going to spoil all of the versions right now. <laughs> so Hitchcock's version, because of the code, had to change the ending from Max being the killer of Rebecca to being uh, basically witness to her death uh, that basically no one would believe that it was an accident instead of that he actually killed her. So he ends up hiding the body, you know, disposing of the body and trying to stage a suicide or a death at sea versus the fact that he killed her then had to do that. I think those things are very different in how the audience will see Max. And I think it should affect the way the audience should think Mrs. DeWinter should feel about Max. How do you think, because they went back to the source material here and reinstated the murder uh, aspect versus the, the, the death by, you know, the accidental death. Uh, what did you think about that change and how do you think it changed the storyline for you? I think it also came down to the performances. I'm just not that big of a fan of Army Hammer. So having him have this dialogue and have this storyline, I was like, yeah, well, you've not shown any compassion in this entire film. Why would I suddenly care and try to support you and hide this and try and, f- and f- sail off to London to go and see, oh, was she actually pregnant or not? If it right. was any other actor, I feel like I would have been more convinced that there was a reason why Mrs. De Winter would care about this and would fight for it other than, oh, I'm married to him now. I guess I have to stay by his side. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, and that's why I think about it in a way as well uh complete with the army hammer thing i i like army hammer i i don't i don't 
love him. I'm not over the top about anything. I mean, you know, he was an amazing Winklevi. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> he definitely has some good performances over the years. He's even worked with Ben Wheatley before. So you would have thought maybe that shorthand might have lent better to the movie. But I, I definitely think the one thing missing here is that I don't care whether they stay together. I don't care whether Max is found guilty or innocent because in a way he had the option he was being coerced don't let you know and Rebecca has this hold over him which I think is not very well set up in this version which I think the Hitchcock version does better uh the other thing I think the Hitchcock version does better is that it lays the groundwork that this relationship can be fixed that there is love here because I will tell you some of the things that they change especially from even if you just take from the costume ball up, the changes that Ben Wheatley makes versus what Hitchcock did is vastly different in tone, especially because Army Hammer's Max DeWinter is way angrier, but yet also way more playboyish in the beginning. Like He's definitely not this stately version that the book and the Hitchcock version have that I think making those changes make everything seem implausible at times. The the kind of ending of how they give this relationship and, and this pair because he gets very mad at her multiple times because they even add a scene at the costume ball compared to the Hitchcock version um, where he gets mad at her all over again uh, and doubles down on that to where, you know, once you see the flares go up and they find the body, her compulsion to pull herself out of the depths and and go maxim and run to him and run to his side seems very out of place versus the fact that you know in the hitchcock version there's more scenes throughout the film of kind of max apologizing for his behavior and kind of being like you know i love you i should make more time you know i if anything i'm a mess He's kind of like doing a lot of it's not you, it's me throughout the Hitchcock version, <laughs> uh, which, uh, you know, I, I think is right here because he should be because he's witnessed his wife's murder or, you know, accidental death. Uh, he's had to cover up uh, a, a death and, and and had to lie for the past year uh, and also try to get over this toxic relationship that he had with his wife. So. A lot of that should add up to him being just a mess of a human being and having it go darker and get worse as he goes back to Mandalay. So I don't <laughs> I don't buy it as much in with Army Hammer because when they get back to Mandalay, it feels like they just more isolated the new Mrs. DeWinter and just had him kind of just off doing his own business. And when he's not doing that, he's furious with her all the time. So I'm like, or sleepwalking. Or sleepwalking, which is in the book, but they don't do in the Hitchcock version. But again, I think it's done once in the book, and it's not really made to be this big deal. Like, he's calling to the West Wing, you know, like, it's this big deal. Um, which, by the way, adds to another thing I didn't like about Ben Whitley's, uh, where he'd add these flourishes of kind of like these either, like, weird sleep state montages like like for instance uh you know when she go she has this dream or nightmare that she gets sucked into the ground while following him sleepwalking i thought that did nothing for me or the story i don't know what they were trying to do i besides feeling like she's 
you know, being taken in by this house or overwhelmed by this house and everything that's going on in it. But we get that. We get that with the story. We don't need that uh, with that flourish. But uh, also uh, in the costume ball scene where she, after she gets yelled at for the second time by Max, uh, she goes off and there's this added scene of them, like the, the, uh, the, excuse me, the, the, the the people at the ball dancing around her chanting Rebecca and like making her seem like she's like losing her mind. I just it, thought Midsommar in that scene. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which again, I think kind of goes to what I was saying at the top. Why do you think Ben Wheatley did this story? And why do you think he made the changes that he did? Because I feel like watching this, I feel like he wasn't interested in making like a Gothic horror movie, this kind of like tension piece or, or I, 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 I honestly am grasping at straws of why he would make this story, especially right now. I don't know if he's trying to send a message with how they changed Mrs. DeWinter's arc. I, I really am, am kind of off angle with that. What do you think? I think he's more fascinated in the time period than anything else. Like, mm. if you look at reviews, everyone's saying all the top things are production, costume, how it's filmed, the score, creating a scene, creating an atmosphere, rather than the story itself, the characters themselves fleshing them out. Right. I wonder if that's what he was drawn to rather than... Because he seems to be more of a director that likes a feel of a movie rather than the narrative of a movie. Yeah, I know he's definitely said that about uh, how he directs actors in particular like he kind of just lets them go to get a feel for what the story is how it's supposed to develop into a scene but you know i'm just trying to see you know besides getting a nice bigger bump in budget and and being able to do that for the first time he's mostly mostly worked in these small budget to micro budget stuff um and continues to i believe he just shot a very uh small movie within quarantine uh, that should be coming out soon based on that, uh, based on the fact that it actually is filmed. Uh, so, I, again, I, I don't see it here. And and one of the bigger things for Mrs. DeWinter is I'm all for making her stronger. I mean, if you watch 1940s and 50s movies, definitely you're going to see a different style of woman than we do now in modern films. But what I would say is that I don't there's a difference between being like a stronger woman and also being like, why are you standing by your man? What's here? What's here for you? I don't get it. Like the house burned down. You had you had a short courtship with this man. You know, yes, he's still wealthy and and good looking. And obviously, maybe there was something that, you know, went through your whirlwind romance to to keep you here. But my God, once you know, he's capable of murder. (laughs) Um, you know, it, it could change a person for a long time. I don't know why she'd hitch her wagon to him because it's not like he knew about Rebecca's diagnosis. So he doesn't even have that to work with. He was literally killing her because it sounded like a good idea <laughs> from from the person who wanted to be killed. So if they wanted her to look stronger, she shouldn't have stayed with him. Most of them would have been like, no, I'm leaving. I'm going to do my own correct. thing. That's what made her look sort of weak by the end yeah i mean just by comparison i don't think they're same same by any stretch but even just watching what they did with enola holmes and trying to update a sherlock story which is obviously an older you know films you know or an older time set in uh, a time period where feminism was just starting it's even older than this story of course and Mm -hmm. and even by the end you know 
Enola doesn't need anybody and that's kind of the point and she kind of you know slowly gets stronger as the story goes on I was almost hoping for the same here like why would she need Max de Winter uh, and I think the only thing I could think of is because the book said so uh, because everything else they had no problems changing especially in the end I don't know why they were so beholden to that part of the story I agree that even little women We've seen that just because it's a period piece doesn't mean you need to have weak women that stay with Romani the entire time. For sure. Uh, and I don't know. And it, I even had, I, <laughs> this is going to sound like I'm really crapping on this. I think this movie is okay. I just think when you're coming off of a legendary book and a best picture winner that we, I don't know if we needed this. Uh, I, I, I know it's hard to say that. Uh, you know, because like, what movie do we need? Because, you know, everything, especially this time of year, needs to be like almost awards category stuff. I know we get fallen into that trap. Um, but I don't even think I liked a lot of the updates in like costume design and some of the other things that maybe it will get praised for just because of the time period. Um, I mean, I, I heard on, uh, I'll, I'll give them a shout out the next big, next big, uh, excuse me, next best picture podcast. Uh, when I was listening to their Rebecca review, uh, they had mentioned that same mustard suit over and over. It's like, you're a wealthy man with a lot of clothing. You should be having more, uh, costume changes, uh, than that. So like, maybe we could do something. Uh, I also thought that, you know, what did you think now watching the Hitchcock version I think the black and white actually lends to telling this story. And I'm not saying they had to, but maybe just in terms of the the scenes that were at night, like really dark in the Hitchcock version that they kind of brightened up in this one. I don't get it. I, I For being a gothic horror slant or a gothic thriller, they really had a lot of light here and they really made a lot of like daytime scenes they even had like a middle of the film where you're supposed to get this sense of optimism between danvers and and mrs de winter that you know maybe they can work together or something that they throw in there i think that was a poor idea because that again is not in the hitchcock version i think you know you can call certain characters in the hitchcock version one note but man, those notes are played really well because <laughs> that's how you build the tension because you know that that time bomb is out there. So I don't know. I, I, I Like I said, I don't want to keep crapping on this movie. Um, so I guess maybe more specifically, like, so now that you've seen both, did you have as much gripes as I seemingly do uh, between or do you have a preference in terms of the Hitchcock versus now or where you would lean? I would go Hitchcock, but then again, it is Hitchcock. I'd probably go Hitchcock for any sort of film adaptation. Sure. I just think he knows filmmaking a lot more than most people even nowadays do. And honestly, thinking about it, I think this would be one of those films that would be good, like a Parasite version, black and white release. Sure. Because I really do like the black and white, but just darken up some scenes. Yeah. Like It's like doing Psycho in the middle of the day. It doesn't really work as well. Correct, yeah. And I did think about that, too. I mean, <laughs> this is why I say, like, did we need this? What was the impetus for this? Because I I actually was on the side of Ben Wheatley and, and crew here when this first came out. I was like, oh, I can understand where a story like this could be updated. 
or at least it can get some version. It's it's been tried before and and to some success. People like the the Faye Dunaway version, uh, you know, in uh, the miniseries that was done in the '90s. So, you know, it can be done to get positive reviews that maybe won't hold the same uh, legendary status as its source material, but that's not necessarily needed to at least have a successful project. I don't know if this was successful. It's still number one on my Netflix. I think it's actually pulling in a lot of views, surprisingly. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's definitely getting the views. I mean, I looked today. Again, we might be looking at two different things uh, in terms of like Netflix US versus Netflix UK. But I actually find that interesting that maybe it is more appealing overseas and that they kind of wanted to get something that, you know, reached across the pond here. Because in the US, I I think it's like top three. It's definitely up there. But I, I think, you know... The fact that they buried this as a Wednesday release, uh, I know it's a busy schedule for Netflix, but I felt like they were kind of just going, we don't know what to do with this now. <laughs> uh, because it's, a, <laughs> like I said, a midweek release. They they had it you know, in the middle of what potentially would have been more of an Oscar run. I had I had feelings of, although I liked the, other, uh, the movie I'm about to mention more, um, it feels like when they released The King last year, when they they were yes. in the middle of you know the the Oscar push from like October up you know kind of with uh, Don't Love Mine Is My Name was released before and like they had a bunch of stuff that was just going to eclipse that movie so nobody was able to sit and go isn't Chalamet great like you didn't have any kind of like <laughs> sense of just dwelling on that movie at all again another adaptation that you know reaches across the pond and has a lot of these things so it has kind of a an interesting bookend here but it's it's something that i think this movie i think will be watched a lot and then completely forgotten uh but do you do you find any reason for this version to live on for especially maybe a more modern take uh well i liked it overall but even then i would question it's not like Little Women, which Little Women had a reason for its adaptation. It's not a Star is Born, which had its reason for adaptation. This doesn't feel like it does as right. much. So I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, in your in your assessment of it on your on your blog, that you maybe had a, a version of why you would revisit this over and over again. Is it something that's more than just you want to kind of live in that world a little bit? Yeah. But I love that sort of world. Like, I love the Hitchcock world. So it just takes me back to that sort of decade and era of filmmaking, which I kind of miss nowadays. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's tough because I think I, I tried. Maybe you can rack your brain a little bit, too, that I was thinking, OK, they've tried to make now this is the second best picture they've tried to remake recently especially and there's a third on the way with spielberg's west side story and i feel Mm -hmm. like they're starting to get i don't know if they're just trying to get over the hump here of like oh well we could remake anything and then if we if we slowly do it with the lesser best pictures or maybe older older best pictures that maybe soon you're gonna see a little more and a little more i mean so ben-hur comes out and nobody cared. <laughs> nobody cared. I, that, that did nothing for anybody that I'm aware of. It didn't seem to hold any kind of, uh, you know, weight in terms of uh, the film society as a as a whole. And then you end up having this story, which I think is not doing as well too. 
I don't know if uh, they they care <laughs> at all because as long as they, especially if it's on a streaming service and they're getting views, the money's there already. They ended up they, they get mm-hmm. there, so I don't know how they're gonna view success with this one. But I don't know if it's fully a successful version because I was looking at the meta score before we we started, and wow, it is lower than I thought it would be. <laughs> it is, I believe. Uh, in the mid fifties, so uh, oh, it wow. is getting kind of trashed uh, a little bit here. So you know, people don't hate it with everything, <laughs> all their might, but they just kind of are ignoring it in, in a way. Um, but I definitely think a lot of people are watching it just out of pure curiosity uh, to see because it's it's beautiful people making a, an update of of a legendary story. You're always going to tune in, but does it work? You mentioned Psycho, you know, so that's the other type of version of out and out trying to do Hitchcock, and that notoriously didn't work either. I I wonder what people's thought process is going to be going forward. Should this give people more pause to maybe not try to do that and try to just, you know, make more original stories? They also seem to work, (laughs) and they don't probably cost as much as a movie like this, Uh, so... Mm -hmm. I don't know. I I, I wonder because can you think of any story that is maybe pre nineteen fifty pre nineteen sixty that they brought back that was successful? Because I couldn't think of one. The only one I can think of is Little Woman. Right, and I guess they've done it multiple times now. Where I, yeah. obviously the the latest one being, I don't want to call it more successful. It's definitely more critically adored uh than the previous mm-hmm. one because i i only say that because i don't remember how the original was in box office i know it was something of my childhood where you know classes would go and seek it out to kind of <laughs> see the liter uh literary adaptation you know because that's always a thing when you're in school and an easy field trip um but you know this version you know is a little more updated for what it should be and it's gorgeous it's amazing adaptation but you're right i guess that's i i don't remember when the initial version came out i'm trying to remember that but you know for sure uh, it's probably the more successful version besides maybe doing something like a sherlock holmes uh you know mm-hmm. even there are holmes versions as long as the as long as film has been around so i guess you mm-hmm. can say that certain characters live on but i don't know if something i guess you may have to look character first more than like trying to just re-up ip <laughs> or i mean the gothic genre might be most famous success like famous example of that so your frankenstein your draculas we still get some sort of versions of them even in the form of plays in the past 10 years That's true I wonder if it is maybe easier for certain genres to move on because their their fans maybe aren't uh, as beholden or snooty, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's also maybe how how things live on for people. Because to me, there are certain films. Do you have like films in your brain that you're just like, if somebody remade that, I'm not even going to give them yep. the time of day. I don't think we've Back to the Future. Yeah, for sure. And they. Uh, I know because I uh, did a Back to the Future episode on another podcast that I know Zemeckis has out and out said no one's remaking mm-hmm. Back to the Future while he's still alive. And Bob Gale as well. Right. So there are certain people who are holding that up, um, you know, because right now the 80s seem to be ripe for yeah. trying to update all those IPs. 
But man, mm-hmm. even older ones like Casablanca, I haven't seen anyone try to to do that yet. Or Gone with the Wind. I mean, that's extremely long. <laughs> Citizen Kane. Yep, for sure. Although we're getting obviously an offshoot of that with Mang coming up, um, mm-hmm. but definitely not something immediate and trying to take that same story. I I think mm-hmm. maybe people should uh, I don't know stop looking in the past so much. We have we have such a different age right now. We're we're in such a different. Uh, political spectrum there's so many things so many stories that we can tell right now i don't know why we keep going back Mm -hmm. in the past but well you just have to look at the screenplay nominees for the oscars every year there's like five or six to choose from adapted and like 20 in original it's always so much harder to predict the original because there's just that much more quality with it for sure i mean there are people who you know these auteurs that keep coming up Every time they make a movie that people sit up and pay mm-hmm. attention, it is a a smaller group of that. These people who have gone on and made careers for for 20, 30 years that have really proven that they're, you know, like a like a Tarantino comes to mind or a, even mm-hmm. this year. I mean, we've been gifted, a, you know, Charlie Kaufman coming back and making another Bananas script for us to all enjoy. <laughs> so, you know, we get uh, a certain guys that come uh, and, and women that come through and really I mean, I just watch On the Rocks, you know, Sofia Coppola coming back is excellent. Um, th- you know, there's a lot of people like that that I get up for. This one I was up for in the sense that I love Hitchcock and I I think there are certain things with especially female stories where, you know, they get sidelined so hard in some older films that if you can really make a good enough take that I think you know, you can make an updated version possibly on some of these. And on a streamer it's low stakes, but man. I couldn't wrap my mind around this because I think just the switch back to the murder and the really just how I'm supposed to see these people end up, I just couldn't buy in. (laughs) But um, thank you so much for coming on and doing this. I mean, do you think this movie has any legs beyond this? Do you think it's going to be up for any awards? I mean, costumes, any of these stuff, because we don't have a lot of the costume dramas or anything going on. That's my only thing. If if it's like last year, no, no, no way. But there's a chance for costumes, unless unless they want to go down the Emma route, which I would also probably choose Emma over this for the likes of costume. Sure. Outside of that, I don't see this actually going anywhere. It's like Netflix news shoving this between the trial for Chicago Seven and Mank. This was just going to be more of a oh, a household can turn it on, watch it, enjoy it, and then get on for yeah. a day. This is, they basically cleared the decks at the end of October. I think they thought that maybe because this has such a thriller peak to it that October just made sense. But it kind of gets mm-hmm. lost in stuff that they're doing otherwise, like some of these real, you know, they got some slashers you know, here. You got some some other stuff that we're actually, we previewed a lot of them uh, but right before October happened. And then we're going to actually uh, do an episode on how they all panned out. But there's definitely a lot of, you know, true horror stuff going on and, and thrillers, uh, his house being one of them from Sundance, you know, there's a, a bunch of stuff that's going to be on Netflix coming up soon that again, it, this might just get completely lost, uh, after like, I'm immediately going to put this out. And then I wonder where that story is going to go in terms of, uh, when people will come back to it. Cause that's the beauty of my podcast. All the movies live on Netflix. So sometimes people get to them late and come back and listen. And so I always kind of know what movies truly were successful based on my podcast a little bit. So it's kind of <laughs> interesting. Uh, I will tell you right now, um, their rom-coms kick 
everyone's ass. I, I want to see the numbers. On, I'm not surprised. Yeah. I mean, even for me, who, you know, it's that's not my, uh, you know, my I'm not the target demographic for them. But right now, uh, <laughs> Kissing Booth 2 is kicking like the Irishman's oh, ass, you know? God. So, uh, this <laughs> is this is what the world we live in. So but you did an excellent job. I thank you so much. First time coming on here. I appreciate you making the time, you know, with the time differential and everything else. So um, tell the people where they can find your work, your your uh, critiques. Um, you know, I've already kind of mentioned the blog up top, but definitely say that. And if you have mm -hmm. anything coming up. Uh, yeah, so I'm actually planning on starting my own podcast, hopefully. I've been writing for three years, so that's naturally the next step. That should be out on Friday if I get it out right, so keep an eye out. My Twitter is Films of Amy, and I also want to give a quick shout out to In Session Film, who I've actually been writing for for the past month, and they've just been the loveliest. Yeah, and I believe uh, you're you're doing some coverage for them for an upcoming film festival in your area? or. Yeah, so I did London Film Festival and now moving on to Rain Dance, which is more independent, more smaller films, but there is the David Bowie biopic. Ooh. So that'll be an interesting one because I've not even seen it marketed at all. No, that's interesting. Is that with any kind of like sanction from the house? It's interesting, especially because his son became a filmmaker. So it's... it's... I think they banned him from using songs. Oh. So that's probably not a good idea. I think. I think. No, yeah. I'm pretty sure when they were producing it, they said, You're, you don't have the rights to his songs. So that's going to be interesting to see how they work around that, if that is the case. Do you know the name of that one? I'm curious to, to look that up. It's called Stardust. Oh, okay. I wonder if um, how, how much they're able to, to work with the likeness and everything else, because it kind of almost reminds me of like that Gus Van Zant film what is it the last days or something like that where it's kind of Kurt Cobain but it's not Kurt Cobain so I I, <laughs> I wonder how much they're able to do uh, with that subject matter but that's interesting but I should know by the end of next week well definitely I'm going to be looking uh out for that I follow you already I look at your your film blog it's and I've you know worked with you a little bit over there uh you know covering uh high flying bird i believe for you a long time ago at this yes. point um which shows because that's you know a year and a half now uh but definitely uh awesome awesome stuff and people should check you out so thank you for coming on thank you for having me